well on the youth retreat that we just got back from. Three churches participated, about 40 youth, about 10 chaperones, not very much sleep, a lot of good, encouraging content, and a lot of fun. What the youth learned about was the parable of the prodigal son. And I'd like us to take a step outside of our normal series that we're working through. We're working through 1 Corinthians. If you're a visitor with us, I invite you to come back. We'll step back into 1 Corinthians here shortly. We're going to step out today, and we're just going to take time to look at the parable of the prodigal son. And through it, you're going to learn about God, and you're going to learn about yourself. I hope it's not too bold. But what you learned today about God may blow your mind when it comes to what you believe about his mercy and his grace and his heart for sinners. I have a question for you. Do you believe that God's heart goes out to sinners? Do you believe that he wants to extend mercy to them, to be gracious to them, to save them. Do you believe that he wants to do this like you want to do one of your favorite things? What you learn about God today just may change your life, and I hope it does. And then you're going to learn about yourself. Everyone in the room is either a Christian or a non-Christian. Further, if you're a non-Christian, you fall into one of two camps. There are those of you who think you don't deserve to be saved. You're so far lost, you don't think you can be found. So you've done too much. You've gone too far from God. Your heart is too dark. You have too many secrets. You are not good. And there are others of you who think you deserve to be saved. Another way to say it is that you don't even think you're lost, so you don't even know you need to be found. This group, you do the right thing mostly. This group, you don't give yourself to heinous, open, and obvious sin. This group, you are good people. Maybe you don't even think you need to be saved because you're good people. Or maybe you think you've earned the right to be saved because God saves good people. So you're going to learn about God and you're going to learn about yourself. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you're new to looking at the scriptures, when I say 15, that's a chapter number and it's in big, bold numbers. And when I say a verse number, like 15-1, 15-2, 15-3, 15 is the chapter, bold, 1, 2, 3, and so forth. Not bold, smaller. 15.1, even though our parable starts in 11, it's informed by the context before. So let's just dip in. 
Luke 15.1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is the setup for our entire parable this morning. Who is drawing near to Jesus? Who is he receiving? Who is he welcoming? Tax collectors and sinners. The undeserving. Those who are open and obvious and blatant sinners that everybody knows are open and obvious and blatant sinners. They're the talk of the town. Now, who's mad about how he accepts sinners? The Pharisees. The ones who think they're good people. And in a sense, they are good people. They're the ones whose lives are frankly pretty upright and pretty square. There you go, Reuben. Thanks, buddy. This is the context of our text. Pick up in verse 3. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What's this parable about? It's so simple. I love Jesus' simplicity. There's a man, a shepherd. He lost a sheep. And what does he do? He goes and he searches for it. And then when he finds it, he's so overjoyed that he has his lost sheep. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's this parable about? It's about the same thing. There's a woman who lost something valuable, a coin, and she makes diligent search for it, and she finds it, and she rejoices that she's found this lost coin. These two parables are the same. And they set us up for our parable, which is the same. Let's get into verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and he drew near to the house he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and he asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to come in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So this man has two sons, a younger son, prodigal, and an older son. And let's look first at the younger son and learn from him about God's grace to blatant sinners. Consider his rebellion with me in 11 through 16. What happens? Well, the son asks for his inheritance This is brash. It's it's, it's forward. Parents, could, could you just imagine your child asking you for your portion of the inheritance before you pass? I would be like, what are you talking about? First of all, I don't have one. Second of all, don't ask me. You get it when I'm dead. It's really arrogant of this young man to do that. It's really unkind of this young man to do this. It's really uncaring towards his father for this young man to do this. But what does this gracious father do? He gives it to him. And the son takes it. He takes it. He runs off. And he squanders it. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the Bible is telling you that's a bad thing to do. But I want us to unpack it. 
want us to unpack this rebellion. Why is this just so heinous? What are some of the things that we see that are just so terrible about this? First of all, there's a total lack of respect for authority. This man doesn't care about the authority that God has placed in his life, his parent. There's a total lack of gratitude for his father. He doesn't care about his father's love and care and provision and protection for him all of his life. He's not, he's not, he hasn't had a heart of gratitude for that. There's a lack of love for his father. He doesn't even love his father. He just wants his father's stuff. There's his desire to transgress his father's boundaries and rules. Boundaries, rules, what's that? I don't care. There's a desire for pleasure more than a desire to be with his father. And there's a belief that the world will satisfy more than being in the presence of his father. But what happened? Look at verses 14 through 16 again. And Widian spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. In the end, he's alone, he's hungry, he's out of money, and he's miserable. Take note. The world is not going to satisfy you. Some of you think that it will. And maybe it will for a season. But that season will end. And its end will be bitter and dark. And I don't want you to end up there. I hope you, before you have to come to the end of your rope, see the emptiness of it all and repent. That's actually what the younger son did. Look at his repentance in verses 17 through 19. 17 through 20, excuse me. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. This is repentance and repentance is a Christian word. And sometimes when we say Christian words, we don't really know what they mean. We just say them and we think we know what they mean. This is repentance and there's a beautiful description of what it is. Look at it. First of all, he comes to his senses. He wakes up. He essentially says to himself, what the heck am I doing? And then what does he do? He remembers his father's character, that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that he's kind. He's prepared to confess his sin in its fullness. This is a beautiful confession. Does he blame anyone? Does he minimize what he's done? Does he hide anything? No, he owns it all. And what's his attitude? 
humility. He recognizes that his father does not owe him one dime. It would be right and it would be just if he were to be a mere servant in his father's household. And then what does he do? He determines to go and see his father. What happens? How does his father react? Well, let's pick it up halfway through 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is unreal. But while he was a long way off, what did his father do? The text says he saw him. The father was looking for the son waiting and hoping that he would one day return. The father felt compassion for him. The father was not angry. The father was not bitter. The father was not looking to tell him everything he did and how horrific it was. And then the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is unfreaking believable. He throws all custom to the wind. This is quite socially awkward for this father to do this because he has been socially shamed disrespected by his son in the presence of the whole community. The whole community knows what would be appropriate is for the son to come to the father, for the father to be stoic, and for him to grovel. But the father says, to heck with all of that. I love my son. I want my son. He picks up his garments and he takes off. It's unbelievable. And then there's this confession. The son barely gets it out before the father not only accepts him back into his presence, he rejoices, he celebrates, he honors, he embraces him. Bring the best robe. Put a ring on this man's finger. Put a shoe on this man's feet. Beyond mere acceptance back into his presence, beyond mere status as a servant, he exalts him back to the position of full-fledged sonship. Spare no expense. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And he's found. So let's get real. Let's talk about you. Are you the younger son? Have you done terrible things? Do you want to do terrible things? Are you just far from God? 
Are you not wanting anything to do with church? Singing, praying, the faith of your parents, the faith of your friends, your pastor? Do you want to transgress every moral boundary put before you? Ask yourself, where does that end? Where did it end for the younger son? He was miserable. And you're going to be miserable. Maybe not right now. Maybe not in the next few years, but you're going to be miserable. Because the world and its trinkets don't satisfy. You're going to be miserable in life. And you're going to be miserable in death. And then even worse, you're going to be miserable after death. Did you know that Charles Spurgeon was converted because he grew up in a Christian home? He can never remember a time when he didn't mentally assent to the facts of the gospel. But there was one, he wasn't a Christian. And there was one Sunday morning where the weather prevented him from getting all the way to his church. And so he stepped into a primitive Methodist chapel where there was an unlearned, uneducated lay preacher who didn't speak well at all. And that man looked at Spurgeon and in the middle of his sermon said, young man, you look miserable. And you're going to be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death unless you look to Jesus Christ and are saved. Spurgeon said at that moment, it just clicked. And he was converted. He said, I was miserable. (laughs) And Jesus Christ saved me. So what should you do if you're the younger son? You should repent. Come to your senses. Wake up. Remember your father's character, that he is merciful and gracious, that he wants to save you. Own your sin, whatever it is. Are you willing to leave it behind, whatever it is? Are you clear that you don't deserve anything from God? He doesn't owe you a dime. Are you clear on that? If so, then get up and run straight to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Come to him, confess your sin and ask for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And if you think the Lord may not receive you, are you afraid that he won't receive you? Do you think you've got to jump through all the right hoops? Do you think you're not good enough? Do you think you have to clean yourself up before you come? Have you made a profession of faith before and it wasn't real and so you're nervous to take any steps towards Christ? How is the Lord going to respond if you get up the courage to come? Let me just tell you how the Lord's going to respond. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Younger son among us. Oh, my goodness. The father will receive you. He has been hoping you had come for a long time. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me. God loves to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4.10. So what should you do? You should come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus died and rose to take the wrath you deserve upon himself. Come to him. Jesus died and rose so you could be forgiven. Come to him. Jesus died and rose so you could be with your father in heaven. Come to him. Come to him. Believe that if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven for every single thing you have done or thought or desired to do and you will be reconciled to God eternally. Everything you see in this parable about God's reception of this wayward son will be true of his reception of you and you will be robed in the best robe ever. The robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And a ring will be placed on your finger which signifies sonship, kingship, heirship. You will be a fellow heir With Christ, come to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Him. And if you want to just say amen and pack it up and go home, I'd understand. But we even have more. So get ready. There's another son. There's another lost son. But he doesn't even know he's lost. And the Father is equally gracious to him. And so let's reread the section about the older brother, starting in 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back and is safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son... 
You are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want us to just consider the older brother's rebellion. Even at a surface level, you can you can see things there that are concerning to you. You can see anger at the father's graciousness towards the wayward son. He's so angry, in fact, he stays outside the house. He won't go in. And then even when his father comes to him and he entreats him, he won't really hear his father. He hears his father, but he doesn't really hear his father. Let me just unpack this for you and let you know a little bit of what's going on underneath the surface here. What's going on underneath the surface is a life that's clean, but a heart that's dark. It's a life that's clean but a heart that's dark. He's got a self-righteous attitude. He, he doesn't deserve that kind of blessing. What's What's the flip side of that? I do though. I deserve that kind of blessing. There is bitterness and unforgiveness that this man demonstrates. There is a sense of entitlement based on his obedience. I deserve better than what I've gotten. Did you notice how many times I is used here? I have done this. I have done this. I have obeyed you. You have never done this for me, 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 I, I, I. He has a sense of entitlement based on his obedience. And here's the shocking thing. I wonder if you noticed he doesn't love the father either. He just wants his blessings. He just wants to get them in a more upright and obvious way than the younger son did. This man doesn't love his father. He just wants his blessing. And so this is scary. Although he is close to the father in physical proximity, he never left home. His heart is far from his father. So this man is lost too. This man's heart is far from the father, just as far from the father as the brother's hearts was, even though he never left home. This man, in fact, I would argue, is in even a worse position than his brother was because he doesn't even know he's lost. He is prideful. He is self-righteous. He is angry when the father blesses the sinner who doesn't deserve to be blessed. He doesn't listen to the father. He doesn't love the father. This is unbelievable. The pride, the arrogance the entitlement, the judgmentalism, all of it. It's terrible. And how does the father respond? His heart goes out to him in mercy and in grace. The son doesn't come into the house, and so what does the father do? The father leaves the house to go out to the son and entreat him. After the son even verbally jabs the father with all of his supposed injustices done to him, how does the father respond after being verbally jabbed by this jerk of a son? With even more appeals. I hope you see what's going on here. 
The father's heart goes out to this lost son too. His heart doesn't just long for the son who's openly rebelled. His heart longs for the son who's quietly rebelled. He loves both of these rotten young men. He wants to shower his mercy and his grace on both of these rotten young men. He wants for both of these young men to be with him at home enjoying all of his blessings, which is the fullness of his presence. And so let's get real and let's talk about you. Are you the older son? Are you close to God in proximity, but far away in your heart? When things don't go your way in life, are you upset because you deserve better? When God saves people who don't deserve it, does that make you happy or are you confused and maybe a little bothered? Do you think you deserve to be saved? Do you think you're better than other people? Are you angry? Are you unforgiving? Are you bitter? Do you love God? Or honestly, do you just want to escape hell? And heaven sounds better. In a room this size, friends, there are older brothers here. Some of you come to church, live relatively good lives, maybe even call yourself a Christian, and yet you are not. You do not live an openly rebellious life, but your heart is far from God. Do you know what you should do this morning? He is entreating you to come home and join in the feast with all the other sinners, with all the other sinners that he has poured his mercy and his grace on. He wants to pour out the same mercy and grace that he's poured out on others. He wants to pour it out on you. The father's heart towards the older son is God's heart towards you. And so what should you do? You should repent. You should come to your senses. You should wake up. You should realize that you are outside and separated from your father's uh, love. You need to realize that you are actually lost. Even though you seem like you're found. You need to remember the Father's character, that He is merciful, that He is gracious, that He wants to save even you and your self-righteousness. And then you need to repent. And what do you need to repent of? You know, it's interesting for the older brother, he needs to repent of a lot of different things than the younger brother did. The older brother needs to repent of his good life. He needs to repent of his judgmental attitude. He needs to repent of his pride. He needs to repent of his lack of love for God. 
He needs to repent of his anger towards God. He needs to repent of his wrong definition of what it means to be a sinner. He thinks what it means to be a sinner is to just be openly rebellious. And what he doesn't understand is that his heart being far from God and not loving God for himself, but instead for his blessings, is heinous sin. Are you clear, older brother, that you don't deserve anything from God? He doesn't owe you a dime. Then get up and run straight to the Father through the arms of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose to take the wrath you deserve upon himself. Come to him. Jesus died and rose so you could be forgiven. Come to him. Jesus died and rose so you could be with your father in heaven. Come to him. Come to him. You know, this story, we actually don't see the end of it. I don't know if you notice that. Jesus doesn't tell us how this one resolves and how the older brother responds. How will your story end? Older brothers in the room. How will it end? Write the ending of it today. Come to Jesus Christ by faith and find rest for your self-righteous and prideful soul. God is more gracious than any of us could possibly imagine. He wants to save blatant sinners and He wants to save respectable sinners. Sinner, whichever one you are this morning, come home. Come home. Let's pray. Father, I confess I don't perceive. I don't understand just how gracious and merciful you are. Lord, I am so grateful that you have saved me, a good kid, an older brother, one whose life was not openly heinous, but whose heart was far from you, and I knew it. And you, in your grace and in your mercy, entreated me and received me through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, be merciful and save sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.